0: Hey, before we get started, I want to remind you that Truce is listener-supported. If you want to be a part of this one-of-a-kind show that asks big questions in an approachable way, become a patron. For just $5 a month, you can help me tell big stories like this upcoming season on the history of fundamentalism. And you'll get access to bonus materials. That's all at patreon.com slash podcast. That's patreon.com slash Podcast. This episode is part of a long series about how communism in Russia impacted the American Christian church. This episode can stand on its own, but when you're done, go back to the beginning of season three. You walk into a restaurant, a greasy spoon diner. It's the 1970s. There are booster seats stacked by the door, Tall, sticky plastic menus in a little box. knickknacks up high on shelves. One, please, for breakfast. A server shows you to a booth. There, on the table as usual, silverware wrapped in napkins. A menu, a glass of water, some butter packets, salt and pepper. That's weird. Stuck between the specials and a list of pies is a brochure. You open it up. Inside is a picture of a family, and they look happy, well-dressed, sitting in a pew. They're in church, surrounded by a multi-ethnic smattering of people, all looking forward attentively while an American flag hangs in the background, slightly out of focus. In big bold letters is written, go to church. Let's you and I do a gut check. How do you feel about this being at your table? What questions do you have? It probably all depends on your religious beliefs. If you're religious, this probably looks really good to you. Evangelism is the bedrock of many denominations and religions. Plus, it may seem refreshing as an American, I mean, let's say you're an American, to see a business owner expressing themselves without fear of repercussions. Not to mention the multi-ethnic ethos of the pictures. It shows unity, and the flag represents patriotism. Let's assume that at this point, you're okay with this brochure. You read it and think, When was the last time I went to church? And put it back where you found it. It's time for pancakes. With a side of hash browns, please. For a lot of us, that would be the whole story. I saw a pamphlet. It was interesting. I thought about its most blatant message. And then I ordered breakfast. We're often comfortable with the most obvious message. But what if we don't do that this time? I don't know about you, but I always want to know more. For example, who put this brochure at my table? Was it the server, business owner, or the last person to sit here? Makes a difference, right? Because these could be at every table and we're all seeing this, or... Just our table. Maybe the server is sneakily evangelizing at the risk of their job. Or the owner of the establishment wants the pamphlets there. Who puts it there changes the narrative quite a lot. If I do want to know more about God, can I ask the server or should I ask the owner? Or did some traveling salesman tuck this thing next to their specials and then split, leaving me to figure out what to do with it. Also, the brochure is vague. What church do they want me to go to? That makes a huge difference too. Is this promoting Christianity, or Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, or Hare Krishnas? That's also very important, but the brochure doesn't give us any obvious clues. So, Let's you and I do another gut check. What do you think about the brochure now? Still want to move on with your day? Order those pancakes? Or, like me, are you growing a little suspicious? Maybe just a cup of coffee while I think about this. I thought so. Who would put a leaflet down just telling you to go to church, like any church? And who has the resources to distribute a vague pamphlet? Okay, so you look really hard at this document, and in the tiny print on the back, you see that the ad was paid for by some of the largest corporations in the world. Auto manufacturers, oil companies, food packaging outfits. I mean, they have the right to do that, to print materials like this. And it's legal and kind of admirable that someone here at the restaurant felt comfortable distributing it. But it's not like we're used to big companies telling us how to live our lives. At least, not so explicitly. Why does Big Oil want me to go to church? Good question. Maybe the CEO is religious and wants to encourage you to be, too. Or, another, darker interpretation is that… The people who run these companies see religion and patriotism as synonymous. Good for the country. And they printed it using advertising money from their business. What company do you know of who would print expensive advertising that didn't help them? How does this pamphlet help a business when their logo isn't even on the ad? Well, again, it's the 1970s. The Cold War is on. Children are being taught in schools what to do in case of nuclear war. Bomb shelters are installed in small towns across the country. The more critical approach is to say that since the U.S. is at war with an atheistic, communistic country, the brochure is the corporation's way of nudging you as a member of the public to support capitalism. Why? Because capitalism has room for religion, while communism, at least according to Karl Marx, doesn't. And that benefits the businesses, because they don't want collectivization. Right. They don't want the government to own their industry, the means of production, or the regulatory environment that comes with that much government oversight. In other words... Religion can be used to reinforce capitalism. That is the darker interpretation. Oof. Who thought that simply going to a diner would be so complicated? History demonstrates that religion has been used to reinforce capitalism. That's what we've been talking about for the last few weeks. Men like James Fifield, Abraham Veriti, and organizations like the Ad Council were actively advertising for religion in the United States during the mid-1900s, often financed by big businesses, some of which were driven by libertarian ideas. As we'll see in a future episode, Billy Graham was in the mix too. One of his nicknames was the Big Business Evangelist. Because He also tied religion, patriotism, and capitalism together in his sermons. Let's do a third gut check. How does this make you feel, knowing what we've learned so far? I'll be honest with you, all of this makes me feel conflicted. As a Christian, I want people to know the hope I have in Jesus— There is no more important thing in my life than my faith in Christ. I believe that he died for my sins. That it is a free gift to those who would follow him. I want people to go to church. But this, this pamphlet thing, makes me feel a little icky. And the pamphlet is based on reality. The Ad Council produced materials just like this. Is that what Christianity is, though? Vague. What economic model did Jesus follow? So it's weird that Christianity gets tied up into all of this stuff. There is still a big part of me that wants that ad to be on the table. That is totally cool with the signs the ad council plastered on buses and train stations. The commercials on TV and radio. I'm amazed when I see politicians coming together once a year to pray together like at the national prayer breakfast because it feels like people like myself were represented in America in the mid-1900s. The issues that I care about were the shared values of the country back then. At least this whitewashed ideal vision that ignores the racism and sexism of that era. The wars, just or unjust... Fear of a nuclear holocaust. Put that stuff aside, because a lot of us do. We want to imagine those years as ideal, wholesome, representative of us. I want you to focus on that feeling of being represented. That's what we're going to be talking about this episode. We've already covered the creepy aspects of these marketing campaigns. Today, Let's hone in on how they make us feel, on this desire to feel represented in the public square. Usually, this is where I say that Truce uses journalistic tools to look inside the Christian church. Today, we're going to do something different. We're going to talk, you and I, about an underlying urge that we all feel, the need to feel represented, and the trouble that gets us Christians into. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.
1: God is a genius storyteller, and the evidence of this is threaded throughout Scripture. In Christianity Today's new show, Holy Curiosity, with me, Kat Armstrong, we explore storied connections threaded throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New. Listen and subscribe to Holy Curiosity with Cat Armstrong on your favorite podcast platform.
0: In the Old Testament, the Jewish people went a long time without a king. They were a people defined by their relationship with God. They were enslaved by the Egyptians, and then God delivered them. Let my people go. A man named Moses led them out into the wilderness towards freedom. It was a long, arduous journey. Only a few people who left Egypt entered into the land of Israel at the end. Once they were there, they were led by powerful military leaders as they fought the people who lived in the land. When the Israelites went astray, God sent them a judge, a person in charge of getting people back in line, often in a bloody, ugly way. Then, you get to the book of 1 Samuel. In it, we meet the last judge of Israel, a prophet named Samuel. He's gotten old by chapter 8, and it doesn't look like his kids are going to be a good replacement. So the elders of Israel come to Samuel and they say, Give us a king and let him judge us. Samuel did not like this idea because God had been their king up to this point. Yes, they had had leaders, but not a king. So Samuel prayed and God replied, and this is from the New American Standard Bible. Listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, But they have rejected me from being king over them. And God gives him some warnings to tell the people. And this I'm paraphrasing. Do you know what kings do? They use your sons to fight their wars. The king will take your daughters to be his servants. He'll take your lands to use for his purposes. He's going to collect taxes from you to pay for his government. Your servants will become his. You yourself will have to serve the king. You're going to regret this decision, but God isn't going to listen. We want a king so we can be like other nations. A king will fight our battles. They wanted to be like the other nations. They wanted to feel represented. And guess what? You follow the Old Testament story and all of those warnings become realities. They got some decent kings, but many of them were murderous. They took what they wanted, led them places they shouldn't be, like to worshiping other gods. My brother and I think about this story a lot. This desire to be like the other people. The need for representation. The desire to replace God with something else. Here are some big questions for us today. How are we like the Israelites? How much of our culture war is just us wanting to be represented? Wanting to have the same power that other people do? Other worldviews have a leader. We should have one, too. In the Bible, this desire costs them land, their kids, and sometimes their lives to fight in the king's wars. Today, our desire to feel represented brings us strange bedfellows. Political parties, to be sure. But also, we've been trained to equate Christianity and certain economic systems that are not actually in the Bible. That coupling of Christianity and economics comes from messaging in our history by people like Fifield, Graham, Verity, and organizations like the Ad Council who lean on the libertarian side— and social gospelers like FDR, Charles Sheldon, and Francis Bellamy on the other side of the spectrum. Look back at the 1950s, a time when religion was very much in the public eye, a time that Make America Great Again folks liked to hold up as the goal. Eisenhower, himself a Christian, was president— Billy Graham toured the country sharing the gospel, and sermons were preached on national television. A Gallup poll in the 1950s said that 80% of Americans believed that the Bible was the revealed Word of God. Now that sounds amazing, right? 80%! Like, the nation was mostly Christians. Here is where it gets tricky. Only 47% could name even one author of the Gospels in the Bible. 47%. Now, there are four Gospels in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Do you know what the names of the authors were? Get ready for it. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. It's not a hard question. Anyone who has actually read the Bible should know the answer. But... Most Americans didn't, even in that supposed golden age. Leaving me to wonder if the faith of that era wasn't an inch deep and a mile wide. Vast in number, but not actually invested. We're heading into a presidential election here in the United States. What do you hear from Christians? Anger a feeling of not being represented in society, fear of persecution, the desire to put our person in power. What do you hear from non-Christians? Anger, a feeling of not being represented in society, fear of persecution, the desire to put their person in power. Do you see the opportunity there? Our neighbors, who maybe don't believe like we do, are feeling the same things we're feeling. We're at a critical moment where we can either seek representation or we can minister to people who feel surprisingly like we do. Here is why I follow Jesus. He's not concerned about the influence other people can give him. He knew who was really in control instead of pandering to get clout. When big crowds gathered, he didn't sugarcoat the truth. And the crowds that followed him laughed. As he entered into Jerusalem for Passover week, the people waved palm fronds and thought he was the military leader that they'd hoped for. The one who would kick the Romans out of Israel so the Jews could have their nation back. Get representation control over their country that was being ruined by people who didn't think and believe like them. But that's not what he did. Instead of giving them earthly power, he set their souls free. That's the real Jesus. And I invite you to follow him. In this time of contention, name-calling, fear, and anger— remember who your real king is. And while pamphlets on restaurant tables sound nice and I'm fine with people putting them there, are they being placed because of a genuine desire to share Jesus or because we are making a public statement? This is my land. I belong here. People like me belong here. Deal with it. I mean, we could go that way, but... What could be a better witness than people who don't seek representation, who don't need to plant a flag on everything? We could fight until our demands are met. Or we could humbly follow the true king. Special thanks this week to Nick Stern for being my sounding board. For reference this week, I used many resources for inspiration. But the biggest were the book of 1 Samuel from the Bible, One Nation Under God by Kevin Cruz, and The Evangelicals by Francis Fitzgerald. Truce is a listener-supported show. It's just me here. I don't have a social media expert or research assistant or an editor. But I do have three other jobs to make ends meet. My goal is still to do this show full-time. Visit trucepodcast.com slash donate to keep this show going. I also want to acknowledge the reality that I'm talking about how corporations impact the American church while running ads on this show. I'd like to see the day where I could do this program without them. So please give to make that a reality. Also, while my voice appears on many of the ads, because of my busy work schedule, I don't often have the time to research the products and organizations myself. I wish that were the case, but I too only have so many hours in the day. I've posted a series of discussion questions in your show notes and on my website based on what I talked about today, which makes it easier for you and your family and friends to discuss all of this yourselves. I'd love to know what you come up with. Special thanks to those people who gave their voice to this episode, including Jenna Erlinson of the Bridge of the Faithful podcast, and J.D. Sutter, who is a voiceover artist. You can learn more about him at jdsutter.me. God willing, we'll be back soon with more. I'm Chris Starin, and this is Truce.